Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, Vision for You, Big Book Study. My name is Janice and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, July 4th, 2013. Today we are reading from the Big Book. We are in Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism. And we are on page 39 and we're going to begin with the paragraph The second full paragraph on that page, Fred is partner in a well-known accounting firm. The reference number for yesterday, which was Wednesday, July 3rd, is 4739. That's 4739. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I'd now like to ask Yadini to please read the 12 steps. Are you there, Yadini? Is there anyone else who might step in and read the 12 steps? I can do Janice, that. I can do that. Who Janice, is this? this is Melanie. Melanie. Go ahead, Melanie. Hi, good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we are powerless over food, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Melanie. 
what I love about this meeting. Help is always available. Now I would like to ask Margaret H. to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning. My name is Margaret H. I'm a compulsive overeater in Illinois. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thanks so much, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism. And we are on page 37 this morning, beginning with the paragraph, Fred is partner in a well-known accounting firm. And this morning I'd like to ask Esther to please get us started. Good morning. My name is Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater in Canada. Fred is a partner in a well-known accounting firm. His income is good, and he has, a, he has a fine home, is happily married, and the father of promising children of college age. He has so attractive a personality that he makes friends with everyone. If ever there was a successful businessman, it's Fred. 
To all appearance, he is a stable, well-balanced individual, yet he is alcoholic. We first saw Fred about a year ago in a hospital where he had gone to recover from a bad case of jitters. It was his first experience of this kind, and he was much ashamed of it. Far from admitting he was an alcoholic, he told himself he came to the hospital to rest his nerves. The doctor intimated strongly that he might be worse than he realized. For a few days, he was depressed about his condition. He made up his mind to quit drinking altogether. It never occurred to him that perhaps he could not do so, in spite of his character and standing. Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic, much less accept the spiritual remedy for his problem. We told him what we knew about alcoholism. He was interested and conceded that he had some of the symptoms, but he was a long way from admitting that he could do nothing about it himself. He was positive that his humiliating experience, plus the knowledge he had acquired, would keep him sober the rest of his life. Self-knowledge would fix it. So this story about Fred reminds me about me. About 25 years ago, I also stepped into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, brought there by a friend who thought it might be helpful for me. Because at the time, I figured my life is great, but I, if I could just lose this weight, I'd be I'd be a little happier. So like Fred, I had friends, good social standing. And except for the fact that I couldn't seem to lose weight permanently, I didn't think that there was anything wrong with me. And like Fred, I, I didn't think that I was a compulsive overeater. I wasn't like those people that I met in the room. They had lots of problems. But what I was interested to learn was that I... I had a food problem called the disease. I liked that they called it a disease because that took away the shame of, of being obese. I was also interested to learn that I had an allergy to some key foods, and I thought, great, now that I know what I'm allergic to, I'll just stay away from those foods and I'll be fine. Um, I also thought, like Fred, that self-knowledge would be enough for me, but of course it it wasn't, and we'll read on about Fred. But for me, the disease of compulsive overeating would batter and pummel me for another 20 years or so before I would finally learn the true nature of my disease, I would learn that I not only have an allergy of the body, but that I have a mental obsession, and I would also learn what I need to do about that mental obsession because that's my biggest problem, not the fact that that um, that I have an allergy to specific foods. And, uh, and uh, it's too bad that it took me 20 years to to finally submit myself to to the real problem and the real solution. But when the ego is uh, powerful as, as mine was, that's what it takes. It takes a lot of pain to bring me to my knees so I, I finally accept um, accept what I, who I, what I am and what I need to do about it. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Esther. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Kim. Rose. Go ahead, Kim, and then Rose. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. I love Fred. You know, Fred is the one who's the high-bottom drunk. You know, it gets rid of my excuses of if only. You know, if only I had a better family. If only I had more money. If only I had a better job. Then I wouldn't be eating. That's the problem. It's my life circumstances that are causing me to compulsively overeat. And here's Fred. He has everything. But what does it say here? He has a bad case of the jitters. He came to the hospital to rest his nerves. It's that restlessness, that irritability, that discontentment. That's the underlying problem of alcoholism. It's that uncomfortability with life. So what do we do? We seek ease and comfort in the food. And he's a very strong man. 
No, it says here he, he, he made up his mind to quit altogether. It never occurred to him that perhaps he could not do so. It never occurred to me. I just kept putting red lines. When I finished high school, when I finished college, when I reached 200 pounds, that's when I'll do something about it. On page 40, it says he was interested and conceded he had some of the symptoms, but was a long way from admitting that he could do nothing about it himself. Self-knowledge would fix it. And I'm sure there's a lot of people on the line today that had the same exact attitude. And this is when we use some of the sayings in our program against ourselves. Take what you want and leave the rest. Take what you want and leave the rest. Because I'm absolutely, if I don't have all of the symptoms, if I have not done everything that other people have done, of course I don't need to do all the, the stuff. I don't, I don't need to do all the steps. I can pick, cherry pick ones which I want to do. You might need to come to meetings, but I can just, you know, I can just not go to meetings. You might need to have a sponsor, but I don't really need to have a sponsor. So as long as we do not fully concede that we have both of these parts of the disease, that we have the allergy to body and the obsession of the mind, we're going to find excuses and loopholes of why we don't need to do these programs. Because there's a lot of must in this program. There's a lot of things that we have to do. But as long as we think we only have some of the symptoms, as long as we don't think we're as bad as other people, we're going to give our excuse, ourselves excuses of why we do not have to do all the steps in the order, as it said, putting the food down first. And then we're going to complain how these 12 steps don't work and Overeaters Anonymous doesn't work and I'm constitutionally incapable when really it is that we have not fully taken step one. So whether we're the low-bottom drunk like Jim or the high-bottom drunk like Fred, we both have to know, everyone has to know that this case of the jitters and resting our nerves is truly the disease of compulsive overeating. And that we will not be able to stop by our own self-knowledge, human willpower, or any other thing that, that we can muster up because we are going to need to find a higher power. And the way that we are going to find that higher power is to walk through these first 164 pages and apply the principles of the 12 steps. Not read them, not discuss them, not analyze them, but apply them. Because our basic problem, once again, is that we are uncomfortable with life and we are going to seek that ease and comfort either through our food or through a relationship with a higher power. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Go ahead, Rose. Thank you, Janice. Good morning. Uh, this is Rose, uh, recovered compulsive overeater, gratefully um, in New York. The um, the paragraph yesterday um, before this one here said um, that this point that uh, we will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. This is the point we wish to emphasize and re-emphasize to smash home upon our alcoholic readers as it has been revealed to us out of bitter experience. And as was said so so very well by Esther and Kim here, the thing I wanted to add was just from a personal note, a page out of my own recovery. When I When I came in, I was 27. 
And when I heard the concept of a disease, I did not have a feeling of relief. I had a feeling of repulsion and believing that it was very weak-willed. And I did believe that on my own unaided strength, I could uh, take the gray sheet and um, and lose the weight, and all would be well. And there was, and I will add, I was an atheist at the time, and I didn't see that um, not believing in God, not having any connection with a higher power except for my own, uh, my higher power were my abilities to take care of myself and pull myself up by my bootstraps and that I could beat this, especially since this uh, meeting explained to me the, the, what was wrong. The thing that was missing is that I did not have an explanation then that I was actually suffering from an allergy of my body and an obsession of my mind. And that fact then interfered for me sufficiently, and I fed myself uh, with all these binge foods for the next 39 years with the belief that I was in the program and that there would be a way for me to manage and control, that there would be a way for me to beat this. I did not have the knowledge necessary, even though uh, what was told in meetings uh, went past me, it was self-will run riot, and I I took the experiment, and the power of this program is such that with all those years of, of hopelessness, that eventually it came to me, it was brought to me, what was already said, without the steps and without the power of coming to believe that a power greater than Rose, which is what happened last year, could restore me to sanity, which meant for me specifically that I could find out how to get recovered from the steps and stay recovered. That would be with the food down and my life would grow. And that, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. <clears throat> Thank you, Rose. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? I see. Katie. Katie. Okay, then I'm I'm not able to hear everybody. Um, Can you give me some names again, please? Penny. Uh, I can tell you. I heard Penny. And Paula. And Paula. And Amy. And Katie. Amy. And Katie. Oh, thank you so much for all the help. I need the help today. All right, we'll start with Penny. Hi, this is Penny C. Thank you, Janice. Um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. And, um, wow, this, this this paragraph to me is such a warning. You know, I heard early on that, you know, the big book is full of promises, but it's full of warnings as well. And I need to be attentive to the warnings as a as a real compulsive overeater, I'm so much like Fred. And if I own, you know, in the early days, the reasons that I couldn't succeed in um, other programs before I started working the steps is 
just what Fred is just demonstrating here. First of all, he didn't believe he was an alcoholic, you know, so I better, I better really, really be convinced that I'm powerless over food, step one. I better be convinced, and if I'm not convinced, I'm headed for disaster. And then it goes on to say, and, you know, he wouldn't accept a spiritual solution. So I need to be convinced that it is a spiritual malady that I suffer from, and the only real, real treatment um, solution, if you will, is a, a spiritual solution. And then he goes on and in, in talks about that, oh, he's got self-knowledge. And just has been said already, paragraph before says, that whole idea that I can recover simply, simply on self-knowledge alone has to be smashed. So, I, again, I look at this as, I better remember this. This is a very important paragraph for me, in order to stay recovered, to stay stopped from compulsive overeating, and um, I—it's—it's—it's I, it's it's the steps. It's—it's it's the first steps here, right, right here. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Paula. Thank you, Janice. Thank you for your service. And this is Paula, a recovered compulsive overeater. So glad to be here. But look, at we were there, too, with Fred. And that's as I was reading that, you know. He, he went into the hospital where he'd gone to recover. You know, it was his first experience. Yeah, always got to be a first one, doesn't there? But don't you think this is rather drastic in the hospital? And then he said it, it was, in he, even here, far from admitting he was an alcoholic, the man was in the hospital. Again, I'll repeat that. He told himself he came in the hospital to rest his nerves. Wow. Delusional thinking, that's why I came, just to rest my nerves. And then the doctor said strongly, strongly. Now, not, oh, you know, you might have, well, maybe not just your nerves. No, no. That eat, now, doctors don't usually do this. They always try to make you feel better. But no, that he might be worse than he realized. The doctor knew. Even the doctor says, can't this man see? No. For a few days, he was depressed. Oh, we all do that. Come on. After binge, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's pretty sad about this. But then he made up his mind. Oh, that poor little mind. But he made up his mind to quit drinking altogether. It never occurred to him. It doesn't. Even in the face of all the evidence against you. You are now diabetic. You now have high blood pressure. My goodness, your cholesterol's off the wall. How old are you now? Well, we're going to have to put you on medication. And all of that, Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic. Well, that can't be me. An alcoholic isn't the way I am, much less accept a spiritual remedy for his problem. He doesn't have a problem. But that part, and I want to scoot on right down to the last part, and this is what does it. He was positive so sure that his humiliating experience, ah, now we've changed it. Humiliating experience, plus the knowledge he had acquired. Oh, let me tell you what knowledge did for Bill. Self-knowledge revealeth him nothing, nor me. Would keep him sober for the rest of his life. That would do it. 
self-knowledge would fix it. Only one fix on this one, and that is the spiritual remedy, and that is God himself. Thanks for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Go ahead, Meg. Are you there, Meg? Oh, yes. Sorry about that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Hi, this is Meg, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Vermont. I'm just going to go right to this sentence that really sticks out to me. To all appearance, he is a stable, well-balanced individual, yet he is an alcoholic. Whew, wasn't that me? That that facade was reminds me of this person that I once heard about, this man. He was a scenic artist for movies, very good at his job. He would make the background for movies. He'd make the signs. He'd make the rooms. And he decorated his own house because he was good at it. But if you looked close, if you looked at the couches, if you looked behind the walls and behind the bookshelves, you saw that there wasn't paint right there, or that wasn't actually wood. It was just a pretend, you know, a design made with paint, or, or you know, maybe the bookshelf wasn't quite built strong enough to carry all those books, because he only knew how to make the background for movies. He didn't know how to make a well-structured and functional house. And that is how it was with me. I appeared to be a normal, well-decorated house. I had a nice life. I got good grades. I had kind, loving parents. But my problem wasn't that. My problem was that my very reaction to life was messed up. My reaction to life. If If the weight of those books got too heavy on my bookshelf, I would break. If you looked behind that bookshelf, you'd see, oh, that isn't wallpaper back there. There's some, just some whitewash. (laughs) And that was my problem. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Meg. And Amy. Are you there, Amy? Press star one. How about Katie? Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And I just wanted to uh, focus on this line. Um, He was positive that this humiliating experience plus the knowledge he had acquired would keep him sober for the rest of his life. Self-knowledge would fix it. Well, you know, I I thought that if I, um, once I understood about this disease and, you know, I was trying to change my life, then I would eventually not need to work so hard at this program. And, you know, the difference today is that I am not looking at the door. You know, marriage counselors and uh, people who... Um, help with marriage will tell you 
you know, don't ever say the word divorce in your marriage. Don't ever look for that back door to get out. And, you know, I'm that same way with my recovery. I'm not looking um, to, to work myself out of this program. You know, I've been asking for a very, very long time, but I don't ever think, I don't ever wake up in the morning and say, I have to do that again? You mean I have to keep doing this program? Why can't I, you know, don't I get it now? And, you know, that's the humbling process of this program and this um, recovery is that I don't want to not have a dependence on my higher power because that's what I would be saying. I would be saying I have risen above the need for uh, my fellows and my um, higher power and this gift that I've been given. You know, it, it, it can sound very scary, I'm sure, for the newcomer that, you know, for God's sakes, you're tw- you've been absent for 25 years and you're, you know, at a hotel room with your husband and you're sitting on this phone line? What is wrong with you? You know, why don't you get a life? But I'm telling you, I have a life. I have a great life. And it is because I take the time every day to reach out to others, to get my own house in order, to get on my knees and thank God for uh, what I've been given and to not look for that back door uh, because self-knowledge did not fix me. And believe me, I know everything about myself now. I know it all. But that doesn't mean that I do not need to keep working this program like my life depends on it because that disease is behind that back door doing push-ups and ready to pounce on me because I'm 52 years old. I have decades of life ahead of me. I can choose today whether it's going to be a loving, happy life with my husband and children and all the negative things that are come my way because I'm getting older, people die, you know, jobs are lost, things happen, but it doesn't matter. This recovery process and this life will get me through anything. And, you know, I am just so grateful and I don't, um, I don't care how much knowledge I have. I still need to um, ask for God's help in every situation. And with that, I'll pass. Hi, this is Amy. Oh, go ahead, Amy. Sorry, technically challenged here. Hi, <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> my name's Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, recovered from Maryland. What stands out for me is he says, well, we told him what we knew about alcoholism. He was interested and conceded that he had some of the symptoms but he was a long way from admitting that he could do nothing about it by of himself. Nothing about it himself. Well, I don't know about you, but I think some of the most heartbreaking are those of us, myself included, who spent years in Overeaters Anonymous hearing, I mean, listening to what was being said and thinking, okay, well, I got some of that and I got some of this, treating this program like a buffet. Well, I'll work step one, and yeah, I'll admit I'm powerless, and maybe I'll do something of two or three, but uh, I don't know about three, and I certainly don't want to do anything about four. Okay, 10, 11, 12. That's not the way this program works. If we go to the beginning of the chapter of how it works, it says, you know, we, we don't, people don't fail who thoroughly, thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. 
I used to be very focused on the one that says who cannot, but really it's those who will not give themselves fully to the program. I had a mind that was telling me all it takes is a little willpower. In so many other areas of my life, I had worked and used my willpower and succeeded and achieved in life. Like this man, successful in all other areas. It is so and was so hard for me to wrap my brain around the fact that I may be successful in many, many other areas, but when it came to the cunning and baffling, powerful disease of compulsive overeating, that I could not use my mind, I could not use my willpower, it would not work, and self-knowledge wouldn't do it either. I couldn't understand that here I was in OA for years going, well, I'm a compulsive overeater, I I know what I'm supposed to do, I, I, I. I mean, we talk about the mental obsession, we talk about the physical, physical allergy. For me also, it was my pride. I had to fully concede to my innermost self that I was powerless. I had to admit and then submit to this program and be accountable to a sponsor, to a meeting, to programs, and to working these steps. And the only way I was willing to do this was until I was beaten and pummeled by this disease because I had to be pummeled into the ground until I finally gave it up and humbly said, I don't have the answer and I certainly can't work this program piecemeal excuse the pun, because it's not working, and it won't work. If we don't thoroughly give ourselves to this program, it is not going to work for us. We can go further down in this How It Works chapter and says, you know, we beg you to view to be fearless and thorough from the very start. We'll probably balk somewhere along the line, but we need to let go absolutely. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point, and we cast asked for his protection and care with complete abandon. You know what? Fred isn't there yet. The cunning and baffling nature of this disease is, is that he's not even there yet. He's in a hospital. He thinks he's got some of the symptoms, but his mind is going to say again and again, and his pride and his will, his self-will, he's going to try and fix himself with his self-will. Well, self-will doesn't stand a chance against this disease, but he's going to keep trying. You know, they say, OA will ruin all your binges because you know too much. I can't tell you how many times, in no way, for years, I sat in my car binging my brains out, crying, going, I don't know why I can't stop. I don't know why I can't stop. But being unwilling to do anything about it until I was in enough pain and had enough consequences of this disease, which it looks like Fred's going to continue on for a while here, until I had enough of those consequences where I said, I give. I may be great in so many other areas of my life. I may be a superstar, a rock star you know, five-time gold medalist, whatever. But in this area, I have failed miserably. And I humbly put my pride aside, my will aside, and I listen to other people who have gone before and who have recovered because they are sane. They are sane. We who are on the line are saying we are sane now. We can think sanely, but we have to work these steps. We have to surrender, and we have to be willing, willing, put our pride aside and say, okay, help me. Show me how. Show me the way. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. I'm so glad they put Fred in the book. I'm so glad they gave us this illustration because it sounds like me in so many ways. But when we look at this story, I think we are seeing clearly the progression, clearly the progression. So here is Fred. Yes, 
He's hospitalized, but for the first time. So he's hospitalized for the first time. But guess what? I bet it had to get pretty bad before he finally had to get hospitalized. It didn't just happen overnight. Things were probably progressing until he got to the point here where he ended up in the hospital. But it's his first hospitalization. It's only the first hospitalization. And he could convince himself that it was only nerves, that, that he was there because he needed a rest. You know, all the rationalizations and the minimizations and the justifications had been there. I could talk myself into just about anything. But the doctor told him, you may be worse than you think. You may be worse than you think. And now he's visited by some recovered alcoholics. So guess what? Now he's hospitalized. He's pretty ashamed of having to be in the hospital. He was depressed about this condition that, that got him in there, but he made up his mind. He made up his mind he was going to quit drinking altogether. Well, I've been there. I don't know about you, but I've been there. I say, that's it. I'm not doing this anymore. Can't happen. I'm done. It never occurred to him that perhaps he could not do so. It never occurred to him. He had been wonderfully successful in all areas of his life. He had a great family. He had a successful business. He was well-liked. He made friends easily. Why would he not be able to do this as well? All experience had told him. But guess what? It had gotten bad enough that he was in the hospital. So now he's approached by these recovered alcoholics, and they tell him their stories. And he can relate a little bit He's thinking in his mind, I can relate a little bit. Yeah, maybe some of the symptoms that you have, but he's not yet convinced. He's not yet convinced by his own personal experience. And that's how each of us, I believe, gets here. Our own personal experience. So if you haven't had enough personal experience with the disease, the disease will get you. Just like it got me. If you're anything like me, but he was positive that self-knowledge would really now help keep him sober for the rest of his life. Now that he knew what he knew, now that even he could relate that, yeah, maybe he had some of these symptoms like these guys who were visiting him and telling him their story. But he was like me, self-knowledge, self-help, self-sufficient, self-control. If I could do these other things in my life and be successful, why couldn't I conquer this as well? But he was given the information now about alcoholism, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. It was in his head now. And we'll see what happens with Fred as we move on in this story. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? All right. I will. Oh, go ahead, Ms. Leah. Oh, thank you, Janice. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. He made up his mind to quit drinking altogether. Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, a sick mind can't heal a sick mind. And no matter what we throw at the obsession of the mind, whether it's uh, self-knowledge or intellect or willpower or determination, 
you know, it is not enough to conquer the obsession of the mind. And, you know, I love that they put the example of Fred in here um, because Fred was a high-bottom drinker. You know, he, he still had a good income. He still had a fine home. He still was happily married, uh, father of promising children of college age. I mean, things are still, from what this describes, uh, still going well for Fred um, compared to Jim, obviously, who had lost his business and, uh, you know, his family was being uh, destroyed through his alcoholism. Um, you know, but the big book is making a point here that the high-bottom drinker gets drunk the same way as a low-bottom drinker, meaning that uh, both believe a lie before they take that first drink. So it doesn't matter, you know, where you are in the progression of the disease. The bottom line is that twofold disease that Janice just described, the allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. I mean, I have a particular story. My disease reared its head at a very, very young age. It dragged me, uh, you know, into the quicksand very young. Uh, many different components of this disease reared its head. Um, and it, com you know, there was complete mayhem uh, for almost two decades. Yours may be similar or uh, you may have functioned well for a long period of time or like mine, uh, maybe it took you down quickly. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you are. just matters, you know, do you have an allergy of the body? Is there that phenomenon of craving when you ingest your substance? And number two, uh, do you have that obsession of the mind? Um, and then it goes on to say here he was interested and conceded that he had some of the symptoms, but he was a long way from admitting that he could do nothing about it himself. I mean, the big book teaches that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves we were compulsive over years. That's the first step. You know, I had to get beaten to a pulp uh, to to admit that in in the bottom of my gut uh, that this thing wasn't going to be something I could conquer on my own self-sufficiency. Because unless I humbled myself by taking step one, I didn't need the rest of the program. I mean, if you can't take step one, you can't take step two. Because until this disease beat me to a pulp and I humbled myself uh you know, I didn't need the rest of the program because if I kept thinking that I had power over this disease, then I didn't need to believe in a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity. And if I didn't believe that, then, then I didn't have to turn my will over and my life over to the care of God. I didn't have to make a decision in step three. Why would I have to do that? I'm still in charge. And if I didn't do that, then I, I didn't have the need to do steps four through nine. I mean, step one was essential. Step one was essential. <laughs> I had to just throw in the towel and say, you know what? I'm licked. I'm done. I'm beaten. I'm resigning from the debating society. I'm not arguing about these terms like uh, unmanageability and powerlessness and insanity. I am done. <laughs> I'm, I'm beaten. I have no more tricks. You know, I have a soul sickness that has manifested itself in my mind, in my body, and please, God, whoever you are, wherever you are, can you save me? Because I am dying by my own fist. And it was with that type of surrender and turning, uh, you know, turning this, uh, all of this over to, to someone who could guide me that, uh, you know, that I was delivered from the quicksand. 
And thank God for that. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Well, let's move on to the next paragraph. And Kathy Kay, would you read that for us? Uh, Good morning, Janice. Good morning, Vision for you. This is Kathy, your recovered compulsive overeater. We heard no more of Fred for a while. One day we were told that he was back in the hospital. This time he was quite shaky. He soon indicated he was anxious to see us. The story he told is most instructive, for here was the chap absolutely convinced he had to stop drinking, who had no excuse for drinking, who exhibited splendid judgment and determination in all other concerns, yet was flat on his back nonetheless. So this is actually a critical moment in Fred's story when he is finally getting to the point of seeing and accepting his powerlessness. Um, I, too, for 15 years in in the 12-step rooms, um, would slip and slide and be abstinent for a while and then break my abstinence and perhaps most importantly would witness other people um, leave the program or um, lose their abstinence and still could not um, get to the point of accepting my own powerlessness and my own need for something outside of myself, greater than myself. Um, There was a sentence earlier in the previous paragraph Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic, much less accept a spiritual remedy for his problem. And, you know, that was the big stumbling block for me, um, even after um, relapse, after relapse, after relapse, after periods of abstinence. Um, It was very hard for me to get to the point where I could consider a spiritual solution. I was one of those who heard and decided to go with, take what you want and leave the rest. Um, And it wasn't until I was utterly hopeless and flat on my back like he is here that I became willing uh, to listen and to consider an alternative, which we then go on to find, is uh, finding a power greater than ourselves. So I see this paragraph as the turning point um, when he had finally had enough and he was brought to his knees and he was flat on his back. And the story goes on to be told by Fred exactly what happened. And I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Sally. May I share? Yes, go ahead. Good morning, a vision for you. This is Sally A. in in, uh, South Jersey on the Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And I just want to um, jump in here and highlight uh, some of what we see here about step 12 work that's going on here among these people. While we're looking at the story of Fred, we're also seeing how they 
how they worked with Fred. So we start with, we heard no more of Fred for a while. So they were not running after him. And uh, I want to highlight page 95, which gives us some instruction about this not running after people who are still um, figuring it out. Um, I'm going to read this paragraph on page 95. It says, if he is sincerely interested and wants to see you again, ask him to read this book in the interval. After doing that, he must decide for himself whether he wants to go on. He should not be pushed or prodded by you, his wife, or his friends. If he is to find God, the desire must come from within. So going back to this paragraph, we heard no more of Fred for a while. One day we were told that he was back in the hospital. This time he was quite shaky. As we all know, it was just a matter of time. And this time he was quite shaky. He soon indicated he was anxious to see us. I'll bet he was anxious. He was humbled, he was scared, and he was knocked to his knees. The story he told is most instructive, for he was a chap absolutely convinced. So now we see that he's absolutely convinced. A minute ago, we had him at the top of the page. He was interested, and he conceded. How nice. But as, as we just heard a few moments ago, we, we look back at the very beginning of this chapter. It says on page 30, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics, that we were compulsive overeaters. And here he is at the top of the page. He's, he's interested. And he concedes that he had some of the symptoms. But now we've got him here on this next paragraph. He's back. He's had some time. This time he's quite shaky. And he soon indicates he's anxious to see us. Oh, I bet he is. And so the story he told is instructive, for he was a chap absolutely convinced now he had to stop drinking, who had no excuse for drinking, who exhibited splendid judgment and determination in all his other concerns. Wow, if this isn't so many of us who are so great with life and so many elements, have such incredible self-will, self-willpower, and then when it comes to the food, have none. We're flat on our backs, just like he was. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Sally. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? All right, we'll move on to the next paragraph. And Penny C., could you read that for us? Hello, Janice? Yes. Uh, this is Penny. Am I reading? I was unmuting. Yes, you are, my dear. Let him tell you about it. Okay, thank you. This is Penny, compuls a recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. Let him tell you about it. I was much impressed with what you fellows said about alcoholism, and I frankly did not believe it would be possible for me to drink again. I rather appreciated your ideas about the subtle insanity which precedes the first drink, but I was confident it could not happen to me after what I had learned. I reasoned I was not so far advanced as most of you fellows that I had been usually successful in licking my other personal problems, and I would therefore be successful where you men failed. 
I felt I had every right to be self-confident, that it would only be a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on God. Wow. What a setup. What a setup for the fall. You know, all this, um, I, I was, in fact, when I first came to 12-step programs, I had this, this secret um, uh, conviction that, um, you know, I really had pretty, pretty good intelligence. I, in fact, I had superior intelligence to most of those people I met, and I could, I, I, I was going to be, I was going to be okay. Um, but as soon as I heard at my very first meeting that I had a disease, and I heard everything I, I think everything I needed to hear at that first meeting that I had a disease and that, you know, no matter how much I knew about myself, that only a spiritual solution would work. That was what did it for me. And um, somehow I think um, Fred had heard just what I heard, but he still had that that uh, sense that, you know, his own willpower. And doesn't society tell us that? I, how often do I hear when I'm having my lunch at work or with, uh, you know, with other, other uh, normies, that, wow, you're not going to have any of that? Wow, what willpower. Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. And my answer in, in my mind, if not said out loud, depending on the circumstances, no, it's not willpower, it's God power. With that, I pass. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Janice. Again, good morning, everyone. I felt I had every right to be self-confident, that it will only be a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard. Boy, that just reminds me of what I felt like before OA and what I felt like in OA. What I felt like in OA. You know, unfortunately, some of the messages we get in the room is that all we have to do is keep on guard. Just do 90 meetings in 90 days and you will be okay. Avoid people, places, and things and you will be okay. So what we're doing is we're almost teaching people willpower. You can do it. Keep away from those booze. We had a discussion on the after meeting about taking the tiger out of the cage three times a day. And if we keep on guard... If we go to enough meetings, if we talk to our sponsor every hour on the hour, we can keep on guard. That is not what this program is teaching us. This program is teaching us. It doesn't matter how much we keep on guard. It doesn't matter how much we exercise our willpower. That we are beyond human aid. And if we do not believe that we can get drunk again, the insanity will return. The insanity will tell us Oh, this time is different. Come on. You've had a good day. You need to celebrate. Come on. You've had a bad day. You just need to take the edge off. So what do we do at that point? If we can't protect ourselves with the tools, if we can't protect ourselves with meetings, if we can't protect ourselves with avoiding people, places, and things, what are we going to do? If keeping on guard is so exhausting. I mean, abstinence is painful. I mean, abstinence in the morning, abstinence in the afternoon, abstinence at night, that's a long 24 hours. So let me tell you, the promise of Overeaters Anonymous is not that I'm going to be strong enough to beat the food today. That if I put my head on the pillow tonight 
and I did all these human power, all these human aid, and I put my head on the pillow. Woo! I was asking it one more day. Hallelujah. The promise of this program is when we walk through these steps, when we get reunited with the higher power, when we do some of these same things, when we utilize the tools to build this spiritual experience, when we utilize the tools and, and other things in order to walk through these pages, we are going to have the miracle of not wanting to eat. We are not going to be cocky or afraid. We are going to be in a place of neutrality with the food. But as long as we think, as Fred did, I felt that I had every right, every right to feel self-confident that it would only be a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard. If we are true compulsive overeaters, that is a recipe for disaster. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Well, we're going to end the meeting here this morning. Thank you to everyone who shared. Thank you to, uh, to Melanie for reading the steps and Margaret for reading the traditions and for all the readers, Esther, Kathy, Kay, Penny, C, and Katie, and for everyone who shared. Thank you so much this morning. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Katie, could you read that for us? Good morning. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, pass.